May I speak in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. One of the things that is very exciting about living in different countries in the world is that you do get to experience how people do things differently. So, one of the things that, um, one of the questions that I have been asked quite a lot is, so how is life different in the UK from where you grew up in Kenya? Or how is it different serving in the Church of England as opposed to serving to the Anglican Church of Kenya? Well, I will give you just two differences that I have been able to pick up through my living here and living back um, in Kenya. The first one is um, driving into a service station or garage to fuel your car or to check your tire pressure. What happens in Kenya is that you will pull up to a um, petrol pump and there will be attendants who will be there. They will be swarming around your car, making sure, asking you how much fuel you want in your tank. Someone will be washing your windscreen Someone will be asking you, do you want me to check your oil? Do you want me to check your coolant? Tire pressure as well. It's just over there. Just drive there and we will be able to check it for you. So you will be, you will know my surprise when I drove into a service station in this country for the first time. And there was literally no one to attend to me. It's like, where is everyone? In fact, I had to pay just to check the tire pressure of my car. Of course, it was a pound, but it was quite surprising. The other thing is um, making a cup of tea. You do know that I do love tea quite a lot. And the way we make tea is that you boil the water and the milk together with some tea leaves in there, and that's what you take. Coming to this country, it's quite interesting that we boil the water, then um, have to get some milk, which is quite cold, which I do not understand why. Um, and, there, and then I realized there is a huge debate in this country or whether the milk goes fast or it's the water or the tea bag, and it is just quite complicated. Really, really different. But of course, at the end of the day, you know, you do have a cup of tea. But the point is not which is better. The point is that it is very, very different. Our Old Testament reading this morning, where we find ourselves, it is at a point where the lives of the children of Israel is very different. The people who God is interacting with, they had been in bondage for quite a while. They had been living in Egypt for quite a while. In fact, all of them in the wilderness, where we find them in our Old Testament reading, had been born in Egypt. All they knew for the rest, for the whole of their lives, was this life of bondage, of captivity, of being able to just serve their masters. None of them had experienced freedom, self-rule or self-determination. Inasmuch as they had worked so hard to remain and to maintain their uniqueness as a people of God, still they lived in this context where someone ruled over them. This is what they had known. This is what they had grew up, grown up with. This is all like they knew. 
just like James pulling up at that service station for the first time and having no one to attend to him. And it is in the backdrop of this, this them being in a new place, them being in a new context, that God speaks to them. And God in some way gives them what I would call a toolkit on how to relate to God, who is their God, and to relate with one another in a way that is very, very different from the way that they had learned and known when they were back in Egypt. And this toolkit of the Ten Commandments, as we call them, have traditionally been divided into two. Of course, like one, the way we say it this morning, the summary of the Lord given by Jesus Christ, the first bit being how to relate to God, traditionally known as the Shema, and the second bit on how to relate with one another. For me, actually, I do think they're divided into three bits. There is a first aspect, the first three commandments on how we are to relate with God and how they want to relate with God. And then there is the commandment on the Sabbath, which is how to relate with God, but also how to relate with oneself. And then there are the other five commandments on how to relate with others. At the heart of the Ten Commandments, it was not just about laws, but it was more so about relationships, about a new way of living, about the difference that they will experience living as the people of God. God enabling them and helping them to be able to live and to become people who are different. Being called the people of God is a calling to be different, a calling to be in a relationship with God, to live a life where we honor God, where we treat one another with dignity, but also one that we do respect ourselves. And of course, this is probably not how the society expects us to live. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, says, you know, all this sounds quite foolish. How then do we do this? Ten Commandments about relationships. God trying to encourage his people, giving them a toolkit of how they're going to live life differently, showing them that it is indeed possible to be different, being people of God. Our gospel reading is quite another interesting passage. But the context here is also very key in terms of what Jesus is doing. As part of the people of God and the way that they were relating to God, they had to travel to the temple which was in Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices. And everyone in the country would travel all the way to Jerusalem to be able to offer their sacrifices. It's like, for instance, all of us, this country being us, we have to go to London for this one thing. Everyone in the country will have to flock there. So it will be quite convenient 
for people who are going to offer sacrifices, probably living from Gloucester going to London, not having to drive an ox all the way from Gloucester all the way to London. It would be quite convenient for there to be something there that we could be, someone could be able to just purchase and be able to offer their sacrifice. Take the case of Jesus Christ and his parents moving from Nazareth all the way with turtle doves. How would that have been? How would that journey have been? But there being those things near the temple was probably quite convenient for everyone we would want to think. The temple in itself, they had their own currency. So you will not be able to purchase anything or use the currency from somewhere else. You had to exchange the currency for the temple currency. So the money changes were really helpful. The people who were selling cattle, sheep, doves, they were really being helpful. So why was Jesus really angry after all then? Was Jesus saying that it would have been better for people to travel all the way across the country, you know, with doves? How would that be possible? With sheep? How would that be possible? With cattle? How would that be possible? But probably that's not what Jesus was all angry about. Of course, Jesus uses that phrase that you have turned the house of my father to be a marketplace. Of course, I do not know whether this marketplace was in any way ethical or had any environmental concerns. Probably there were loads of sheep and cattle. There was a lot of methane being released in the air anyway. But the point that Jesus was making here was that focus had shifted, shifted from the actual act of worship to the preparation for worship. The house of God had been filled with sounds of bleating cattle, sheep, shouts of money changes, flapping of doves. Motivation had shifted from worship to profit. Rather than people traveling for miles to come with, meet with God, they were met with a marketplace. A place that was there to exploit them. A place that was there not to enable them to worship God freely. And this was quite difficult for Jesus to take in. And it is partly for this reason that Jesus had to become a DJ and turn the tables. <laughs> and of course, Jesus cleansed the temple, and someone, of course, had, had suggested that, you know, this is where the aspect of spring clean comes. Jesus cleaning the temple so that there is space for people to be able to meet with God. For us, so that there is no hindrance for people meeting with God. As people travel, they are well facilitated to meet with their God without any hindrance. And of course, we do read this reading in the context of Lent. The context of the time where we are focusing on Jesus, being aware of the things that hinder us from being in a relationship with Jesus. 
being aware of the things that make it difficult for us in our walk of faith. At a time where we lay down things so that we can focus on Jesus. At a time where we pick up things so that we may be able to focus on Jesus. But in as much as that is what we reflect upon, I also think that there is another reason as to why Jesus did all this. Of course, if you read um, the other Gospels, they put this instance almost at the end of Jesus' ministry. John is the one who puts it quite at the beginning of his ministry. And to me, it just seems as if Jesus has been walking around the whole country, entire nation, telling people, speaking about who he is, revealing himself to who he is, and yet still coming to this place, having an opportunity one more time to explain who he really is, why he has indeed come to these people. And of course, they do ask Jesus, why are you doing this? What authority are you doing this? And Jesus points towards himself as a fulfillment of the law, that law which was given down unto them, that toolkit that was given unto them as a way of relating with God. Jesus says that this is what I have come to fulfill. This building that stands here, this place that you come to meet with God, I myself, I will tear it down and build it again in three days. And of course, everyone was quite confused by what Jesus was saying. He had just whipped people and now he's beginning to talk about bringing down this temple and three days building it up again. And all of them, they were like, excuse me, Jesus, but it took almost 50 years to build this building. How are you going to build it in three days? But of course, we do know Jesus is pointing towards himself, towards his death, towards his work on the cross, towards him offering himself once and for all, being the perfect sacrifice, laying down his life so that everyone, once and for all, will be able to have access to God, will be able to meet with God. And of course, this once and for all aspect of Jesus laying his life it is a huge theological debate what actually that means. But I do think it does mean that Jesus did it once for all. For all, first of all, meaning for everyone in the world. For each and every person. For the creation of the world. And once for all as well, that there is no other sacrifice that will be able to be offered. His sacrifice is enough. So what are our readings telling us today? A reflection about God's intention to help his people as they begin a new journey being his people. Helping them to be able to leave behind the way of life that they knew, the way of life that they had lived, and helping them becoming new people. Encouraging them to know how to relate to himself, to relate to one another, and also to relate with God. 
and Jesus Christ becoming the fulfillment of this law by offering himself once and for all and saying, this is my sacrifice, that everyone may be able to come to Jesus Christ. Everyone may become a child of God. Being called by God is being called to be different. And by ourselves, it is indeed true, we cannot be able to do this. But Jesus has done this for us. Let us be different. Let us be the people of God that God has called us to be. Let us put aside all that stands you know, in the way of our seeing God and let us allow Jesus Christ to reign supreme in our lives. Amen. <laughs>